Welcome to Queer, an LGBTQ live entertainment discussion podcast. I'm your host, Phil Villar, and always with me with such joy and commitment to deal with my sanity is Megan Wilson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Yeah. So uh, today, guys, or tonight, wherever day or time you're listening to, time is an illusion during COVID, um, we have a special guest. Uh, she is a costume designer and associate professor in, of design with the State University of New York at New Paltz School of Fine and Performing Arts. My alamatra and life close adv- advisor and mentor, Andrea Varga. How are you, Andrea? Thanks, Phil. I'm great. Thanks for the invite. It's lovely to be with you. Yeah. And uh, the reason uh, why we're actually inviting you, and um, if you haven't noticed by the title of this episode titled Pay Your Dues, I just made that up now. Um, (laughs) uh, We're talking about internships uh, with young designers and students and you being a professor and having to, you know, encourage people going out to work during the spring. I'm sure a lot of times you hear both great and sad stories when you see them coming back in the fall. Um, But before we dive into this and the episode focusing on predatory internships, um, tell me about yourself and uh, what got you into theater and, you know, all that jazz. (laughs) Sure. Um, Well, I... I won't tell you the whole, whole story, but the fun romantic part of it is I remember being a five-year-old sitting with my legs hanging off the edge of a stage, and I was watching my mom paint a set for community theater, and um, I just remember thinking how fun that was and how pretty she looked, and this was the 70s, and so she had long, glossy black hair and her bell bottoms, and everybody was pretty fabulous. And uh, so I have pretty deep memories of it um, being a part of my life, but I didn't really ever think I could do it professionally until I got to college. And um, at that point, I was doing a double major in history and theater, and I really got interested in costume design specifically. And um, I've always loved clothes and fashion, and I've loved drawing and history, so it's this, you know, mix of all of the the things that I really love. And so I was able to, I, I mean, I right out of the gate, I was doing summer internships in undergrad. And then I went to grad school at Florida State. And I did summer theaters and opera, um, just include opera um, under the umbrella. And um, an internship in New York City. And so... Um, you know, I kind of, I guess I just for a long time, I, I knew I wanted to be in the industry and be a part of it, but my path wasn't necessarily laid out perfectly for me because I came from a place where there there really aren't a lot of theater professionals, Northern Utah, <laughs> um, but there is a lot of theater and a lot of performing arts in Utah. Actually, it's there's a lot of culture there, um, but people tend to do it as a side gig, um, and so anyway, um, so doing those summer internships in different places around the country really helped me kind of have an idea of what the professional industry was like. And also then getting one when I was in grad school in New York City um, was really helpful. And, and that was one that I got with a touring company. So I worked in the city and then I went out during the tech part of the tour. So I had kind of that experience too. 
so I had a pretty wide range of experiences um, throughout, you know, throughout my education to help me get an idea of the industry back then. And so this is where I just say, you know, it leads me to, I, I did always have the part of me that wanted to be an educator. And um, so this is kind of, you know, fast forwarding a little bit from grad school, but I worked my tail off in my, you know, post, post grad school years in New York City. And then I started adjuncting at FIT and then Montclair State in New Jersey. And then I got an opportunity to be a guest designer up here at, at SUNY New Paltz. And I didn't even know where this was, but I came to the Hudson Valley and I was like, oh, wait, this has been up the road from New York City this whole time and nobody ever told me. <laughs> no, I had no idea. It was, it's literally an hour and 20 minutes from Midtown. And I was like, this is the best kept secret of New York City. <laughs> and, um, and, and then, you know, the stars just aligned that a position opened up and I applied for it and, and I got it. So um, that was wonderful because I've been able to continue being a professional costume designer and be an educator. So both things that I wanted to do. So, I mean, that was like going all the way back to when I was five, all the way until, you know, I was in my thirties and then I, I got my teaching gigs. So, and now I've been at New Paltz for 15 years. And so I have 15 years of, I counted it the other day and um, between all my classes and, and all the students in the program that I've advised, it's about 1,500 alums in 15 years. And, um, and I've advised most of those, if not all of those students, in career placement opportunities. So, um, you know, undergraduate internships, um, post-undergraduate assistantships and fellowships, um, and then my students, you know, like you, Phil, who go to grad school and then are calling me still and saying, what should I do? You know, I have this or should I do that or whatever. So I would say I have a little bit of experience both personally being an intern and then advising lots and lots of students on them. So, yeah. No, and uh, and that's it. Like, and that's, you know, and that's why we wanted you on our show. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's easy to jump straight into talking about like the do's and don'ts of internship and this isn't what this episode is about like we're not here to tell you right now of like you know make sure to stalk your designer's website and social media page so you can talk everything about them so you don't look like a fool you know this is about <laughs> you know this is about um you know talking about your experience and and you know in internship you know it's it's about you know, seeing what, you know, what you got out of it. And when I mean getting out of it, I don't mean like, oh, I got to program with this famous designer. I'm talking about the kind of growth that you had. Like, oh, I, I came in, you know, as an electrician, but I found out that I really like scenic painting. You know, this is what, you know, and that's what, honestly, to me, I think what internships are really about. Because when you're in, you know, in school or even working professionally, you're so caught up in what you're good at because usually that's what people are hiring you for, you know, that mm -hmm. when, you, when you have an internship, you have an opportunity to, much like in school, the freedom to make a mistake. And, you know, and at this time you don't have to worry about, you know, grades or anything like that. You could be like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I finished my 
cable hanging and you know and hanging the, the lights now i i see my friend mike over there painting some sets i'm gonna join in you know yeah. and i think um you know the this by no stretch of the imagination is talking about the the worst stories of internships this is about the good the bad and the beautiful that, that came out of it you know and that's important too let me just jump in here too i think you know something that i've been thinking about um is how much, and, and this is going to make me sound like an old lady too, but how much the industry changes over time. You know, the, the industry goes through and has gone through some major changes every 10 to 15 years, you know, really since the mid 20th century. And, and when you get talking to true old timers who've been through it, you know, they can talk about kind of like those pivot points or those big shifts or changes. And so I think, you know, that's something to acknowledge too, is that, you know, when we talk about an internship, an internship in the nineties was a totally different kind of thing than an internship in the early two thousands and then internships post the great recession. And now, obviously, we're going to be at another inflection point where things are in the workplace, every workplace are shifting with COVID. And so we can anticipate some big industry-wide changes. And, you know, so just when we talk about internships, like the things that I experienced, um, you know, when I was in undergrad and grad school, that's, that's a different kind of environment in so many ways, you know, than now. And I would say the Great Recession did a number on um, internships and people's attitudes about them. And so, you know, that's something to look at, too, um, because I think there's this sort of idealized internship that exists out there. That is the model and that amazing, you know, exactly what you're saying, Phil, is like a chance for someone to get away from you know, just the expectations of being an undergrad or a grad student in the academic atmosphere and working with a variety of people at different skill levels and different experiences and having the chance to, to fail or to not know how to do something or do something different. And that, I want that to be what, when we say internship, what we're talking about, um, and, and I'm just sad that it's not that as much as it should be anymore, especially. Um, so I think just looking at that, how internships have changed, how expectations have changed, and what we want to have change in a post-COVID workplace world. So just throwing that out there, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um... When we want to talk about internships right now, the very first thing I want to address right now is that uh, theater and live entertainment is not above the law. And with that in <laughs> mind, <laughs> um, I'm going to tackle on the U.S. Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division in regards to internships, because these are very important elements. Um, for a very, very long time, theater has always been this um, shadowy area when it comes to a lot of legal stuff. Um, <laughs> and um, internship has always been no exception. And it, and it comes from complacency and it comes from, 
you know, an acceptance from previous generations and previous generations before that, the pay your due mentality. And that isn't the case anymore. Uh, Just FYI, you know, the courts have considered and have used a primary beneficiary test to determine whether an intern or a student is, in fact, an employee of the Fair and Labor Standards Act of the United States. That being said, it means that if you are an intern, you are an employee of that company. Just because it's a company that only opens three months out of the year for summer stock doesn't matter. It, you are an employee. You have just as many rights. You have just as many um, legal and protection as anybody else working anywhere across the country, in Puerto Rico and Guam included. Just FYI. So that being said, we're going to talk about internships in it, both a positive and negative, like I mentioned. And um, when we're talking about these negative um situations when it comes there, we're not going to mention names. We're not going to drop the names of the theaters or the festivals because that's not what it's about. This isn't, you know, we don't have any evidence to support this. This is going from personal stories and we're going to respect those. We're going to respect that because these stories could have happened eight years ago. And since then their practices might've changed. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to throw in here just a shout out if you don't mind. And you guys are probably aware of this, but um, some other more old timers in the industry, <laughs> not, not that old, but it feels like it these days. But, um, I would say, you know, it, it's a collection of Gen Xers and, and millennials, um, have gotten together and created a Facebook group and an advocacy organization called mm-hmm. lift the curtain. And, mm-hmm. um, they're really tackling some of these issues. And I think that, you know, just for any listeners who are interested, who haven't heard about it, um, that's, it's a great Facebook group to go on and kind of get a lay of the land that, you know, hear the stories and, uh, you know, and, and for any young students who are looking, you know, for information too, um, that it's a great resource. And, and I think that they're doing some amazing work in terms of organizing for advocacy. And, and I think that's where, like what we're going to talk about today, what we are talking about, you know, goes to the next level too, because we can talk about it and we can raise awareness, but it really takes some amazing people like one of the organizers, Jay Duckworth to say, you know what, I'm done listening to the stories and I'm, I'm going to organize people and, and we're going to start to really have some conversations with administrators and theater organizations. And, you know, and Phil, I think exactly what you brought up is that the law has changed in recent memory. And, and I just think that there are a lot of people who are not trying to do the wrong thing. It's either out of habit or desperation, you know, survival in some cases of companies or just you know, sort of like there's always too much to do. And so people get in the habits of doing the same thing from year after year. And it's not necessarily actively malicious, you know, or actively exploitative, but then practices can become that way. And so um, what Lift the Curtain is doing, I think is a really great next step. And, And I'm super heartened by that. I'm really excited. So anyway thought that was just an appropriate moment to throw that in. No, absolutely. And we'll, 
and we'll actually drop the uh, I'll find a link and I'll drop it into the show notes as well. So if anyone's interested right. in the Facebook Great. page, which yeah. is pretty much everybody nowadays, um, you know, you'll be able yeah. to like it. And, you know, the numbers only grow, you know, just like as uh, United Scenic Artists always says, you know, collective collective bargaining is power. So it is. And, and part of that is awareness, you know, when we can't have people feeling alone. I mean, I know you guys know that is like the biggest, the biggest impediment to people bettering their situation is feeling like they're isolated, alone and unique and that mm-hmm. there's nobody else out there that's having, you know, a similar experience or anybody who would fight for them if they asked for it. And, and I, you know, in, in this industry where we claim to be like big extended families and we claim to create community and um, you know, we're making art together. It's like, then also we need to be taking care of each other better and, and advocating and not making people feel like they're alone or they're different or they're weird, or they just had, you know, a one-off experience. And um, so I love that that's where like lift the curtain really started with tell us your stories Let's put these stories together and then, you know, let's figure out how to go forward. And, and now they're in the going forward stage. And, and I think that's amazing. And that's awesome. so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. And, you know, you, you, you touched upon it a little bit that this like, you know, oh, I'm alone or like, you know, I can't really say anything because this is only uniquely happening to me. And I think with theater, uh, it's almost like the opposite that it's just like, I don't want to say anything because this happens to everybody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's so funny that in theater that it's just like, Oh, I'm working. Oh man, this is ridiculous. I'm working at a theater right now. That's, you know, I'm only paying me a hundred dollars a week and, but Hey, they're offering me housing. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm working, you know, from 9am till 3am, but they're providing me housing and there's, you know, 15 30 other people in this room with me and if and if they're not complaining i'm not going to complain you know and there was people who came yeah. here before me and you know I, I i know this i know this you know bob from accounting you know he he worked here and now he he's working in, in broadway so th- th- there's really nothing wrong like this ha- has to be the industry this has to be the standard yeah. i'm not going to say anything i'm not going to ruin it for everybody and that's ridiculous because again i'm going to bring up the u.s wage and honor in our division uh internships our, our employers are entitled, employees are entitled to minimum wage and overtime pay under the Fair and Labor Standards Act. Yes. Again, cannot yeah. stress this enough. <laughs> and you know, you sh- and that's, oh, I'm sorry, Phil. No, I'm terrible no. at these things. Oh, no, <laughs> no, please. Say, oh, please, no. You know, one of the, and I know we're in really fraught times, but being a historian, I'll, I'll also pull the, you know, we have to look at the long stretch of history too and understand you know who's come before what before us and and how we've gotten to this place and I think one of the really you know amazing things about the United States of America and the democracy we have as flawed as it is is that we we chose to protect laborers we chose to identify ourselves as a nation of laborers, not a nation of aristocrats. And yes, those laborers, you know, in the first days were landowners, right? And, mm-hmm. and we've marched, you know, we've, we've widened our definition of who gets to be included and who gets to be at the table being protected and, and helping make the decisions. But, and, and we've had 
problems along the way. Like it took the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire in 1911 um, to enact stringent safety laws for workers and laborers. Um, and, you know, it took the tragedy of losing all of those immigrant, mostly women's lives to forward the labor movement. But it is a part of our American identity. And, and I think we can be really proud of that and also know that it, it's worth fixing the flaws. And so it's bigger than just theater. And, and so I'm loving that you're bringing up the Department of Labor, you know, and minimum wage laws, because we have to remember that in the world, um, these are unique rights and, and it, they are worth working on. And I love that. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I think it's really important. No, absolutely. Um, I think um, what we're kind of going to drop on to next is um, I- I'm going to uh, share one of my stories of uh, of an internship. And granted, just FYI, I did not accept this internship afterwards, <laughs> uh, simply because of what they were asking me to do. Um, <laughs> You're giving away the punchline, Phil. I, I know. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> listen and then grow with the story and be like oh my goodness did you take it or not and now you decide to cut all of this out no not at all I'm, I'm gonna own up to it no um yeah i got i got offered to uh to work at a theater and it was uh, a theater that um for many many years um uh previous students of uh, of new Paltz have attended so I always thought, okay, you know, if I get an opportunity to work on this, I- I'd love to be and continue this tradition. So I-, I talked to the production manager and 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 they go like, oh, you know, we we see your resume. We see that you've done a lot of electrical work too. Uh, how would you like to be our assistant master electrician for the season? And I said, boy, howdy, sure. How much? And they were like $600 a week. Ooh, that's fantastic. And housing included. I was like, yeah, that's right on. And they're, you know, and it would kept on getting like sweeter and sweeter. Like, yeah, like, yeah, you're, you're, um, you're actually going to get your own room and it's going to be a loft above the theater. And I was like, Ooh, Quasimodo, you know, Phantom of the Opera style. <laughs> Love it. You know, I'll grab my mask, put a hunch on my back and we'll call it a day, you know? And then I was excited and it, it, it meant a lot to me because I was just like, I get to work for a small theater. I get to, you know, you know, continue on the tradition of, you know, the close relationship between this theater company and City New Paltz. And I, you know, and then out of nowhere, um, they called me up again and they say, I- I'm sorry, but our master electrician actually just dropped out and we're going to need to hire a new le- master electrician. And we don't feel comfortable about two new staff members um, being in charge of a lighting department. So we're actually going to hire a previous intern to be the AME so they can show the ropes to the new mass electrician. So I was like, oh, okay. So w- w- what would you like me to do? It's like, well, we're gonna we're gonna put you down as just the electrical intern. I was like, okay, that's okay. I was like, okay, that's that's a bummer. But um, what what's the pay? You know, at this point, this was this was like April. You know, and I'm graduating, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, you know, so I I can't kick and fuss as much as I usually do. Uh, as Andrea knows, I kick and fuss a lot, uh, <laughs> and I. Uh, and they were like, it's a hundred dollars a week. And I'm oh. like, I, I, you know, I, the, the, you, you heard the record scratch. And I was just like, okay, uh, do you still include housing? Yeah. 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 No, of course we include housing. I was like, okay, you'll be sharing the space with 15 other people. What? Wow. 
wow. yeah 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 and it, you know and i was like oh uh, okay um sweet <laughs> and so you know at this point i you know again it was april and i was like okay um good to know uh, and she's like yeah I'll, I'll send you the new contracts so i was like okay so you know and here i go i i signed it you know thinking like i, I need a job i need to work as soon as i graduate and then a couple weeks later um uh, people at Four Wall called me, and Four Wall is a lighting uh, rental house. If people don't know, and I met them because of my experience working at my internship at uh, ETC, uh, Electronics Theater Controls, and they called me up and they were like, "Hey," and I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" And they're like, uh, "Well, we, uh, I, I really like you." And his his name is Kelly Easterling. Shout out to him. I love him. And uh, <laughs> he uh, he was just like, listen, I, you know, I love you. And you were like, you know, such a cool guy. And, you know, we worked together really well when you were working at ETC. Um, I want to hire you. And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, what do you want me to do? He's like, I don't know. I have to make up the position first. But uh, what do you think sounds cool? <laughs> and I was just like, I, I was like, I, I don't know. Um, you know, do you want me to hire as an intern? He's like, no, 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 no. We're going to make you we're going to make you an employee. You're not an intern. So I was like, OK, fine. And so. He's like, I don't want to say project manager because you you're a startup position. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. And I, I was like, um, well, what I'm going to be doing? He's like, well, you're going to be working on like a lot of projects and seeing and you know keeping the pulse on all the projects to make sure that they are you know okay. So I said, oh, okay. So it sounds like I'm coordinating a lot. How about just project coordinator? And I got that <laughs> idea because uh, people because that's a title at ETC. So I was like, why not just project coordinator? He's like, great. I'm hiring you as my project coordinator. And I was like, oh, okay, um, should I interview? You just did. Love it. When do you want to start? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And I was just like, when do you graduate? And I was like, oh, I think May 16th. Great. You'll start the day after Memorial Day. I'll still need the paperwork. So I was wow. like, okay. And I was like, well, fuck. I just, I have two jobs now. So I, I panicked and I was like, you know, and you were, you know, going into <laughs> school, you're thinking like, you know, I can't, I can't drop it. I just, I signed a contract. I signed a contract with this playhouse. They're going to sue me. You know, they're going to sue an oh. intern for not taking a position, you know, being, you know, at the time, you know, I was still like 24 years old. So I, I was, I was still an adult. I was just a very foolish adult. And, <laughs> and so I, I eventually just called the production manager up and um, I left them a voicemail and I didn't, and I kept on calling them and they, they wouldn't pick up because I want to tell them in person. I didn't want to send an email because I, I felt like they, they deserved that. And then they, I haven't heard from them. So I was like, okay, maybe they're just mad at me and they're not going to, you know, they're just throughout my contract. Like two or three weeks later, honestly, it might've been a month at this point. Um, Andrea, we were actually working on, uh, on the verge. Mm, right. And I, uh, I remember that, you know, what I remember from this is I didn't remember the specifics of the story. Um, but I remember the state you were in. I remember yeah. the state of worry because you are an incredibly conscientious person. And, you know, you're, you're not the kind of person who just blows something or somebody off. You really, really care. And, and I always respected that about you. So I do remember the kind oh, of God, state you were in at the time. <laughs> you know, and that, so that's just yeah. a compliment to you that, you know, because a lot of people do just bail on stuff, you know, and that's, that's not cool either. So, yeah. No, I, thank you. Um, I'm trying not to cry now. <laughs> no, I, uh, no. And, and yeah. And so like, we, so yeah, I was in the middle of tech for On The Verge and I get a call and I'm like, fuck. So I, I, and I was just, and I, and like, I was in tech. So I like, I was just like, 
I don't want to say, hey, guys, can we hold so I can break up with this production manager over the phone for the fifth time? <laughs> uh, and keep in mind, just FYI, just a little backstory. They offered me a job the year before, and I accepted it, and I immediately declined them so I can work at ETC. So this is going to be like the <laughs> second or third time that I have rejected them. But this time, I would have accepted it if they kept me as an AME. Yeah, Gosh darn true. it. It's like that so, yeah. episode with Ben where he goes, yes. I don't know if y'all watched Parks and Rec, but where he goes to the accountant <laughs> office and he gets the job and he t- works for like a day. And then he's like, that's exactly oh, what it was. Goodbye. Like five <laughs> times. That's basically what my experience was. And so um, I didn't answer it because I didn't want to, you know, I, I was in tech. I was going to respect tech. I can always call her back. And I, um, I, I listened to the voicemail and he goes, Hey, Phil. And I was, you know, and like, just listen to voicemail. Uh, I got your messages, um, all five of them. And I, it's, it's very unfortunate that you're not going to be working with us um, over in New England. Um, I understand that um, you, <laughs> when you got offered, it, it was better pay and, um, you know, health insurance and retirement. That's important. I, I understand that. Um, <laughs> but so is loyalty. Loyalty is incredibly important, especially in this industry. And I, I want you to know that um, you might be leaving, you know, away from us with a maybe a bad smell. I just want to let you know. Wow. And this is a very small industry. And it's cruel. I, oh, I'm the not, small industry excuse. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> so like, manipulative. It Sorry. really was. It really, really, really was. Really unconscionably manipulative of a young mm-hmm. professional. Sorry. Yeah. I just think I call BS oh, yeah. on that. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like, I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm happy where I am right now. And I've ne- and when I tell people the name of that theater, people say, "What, what?" <laughs> I never heard that of that small. Yeah. Come on. I mean, I mean, enough, <laughs> enough that I didn't detriment my industry, my my own career. Come on. Yeah. No, nobody makes or breaks their career through an internship or not internship. Mm-hmm. I just want to put that out there. 100%. Sorry I interrupted you, but that myth we need to just bust. Oh and yeah. No internship is going to, you know, pave the rest of your way or break, you know, break the bridge into a million pieces yeah. that you can never repair again. <laughs> so dramatic. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, you know that Phil Vaga- Phil Villarga? He ditched me twice. <laughs> I'm gonna call I'm gonna call you United Scenic Artists and this guy's never gonna work in this town again. You'll see. You'll see. He's He'll gonna be, be a custodian at Tinseltown. You'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so I was in I was like on the verge of tears hearing this. And I yeah. had to talk to uh Ken, who was at the time he was my academic advisor, and and Jack, who was the head of the uh, the program at the time and my lighting mentor and I just played the voicemail and I'm like my future is ruined mm. and they were like no it's not and I'm like it is and they're like no you were like what do you like I remember Jack at one point he's like wait don't you aren't you don't you have a job already and I'm like yeah <laughs> like then what the hell are you worried about <laughs> and I was yeah. just like I don't know <laughs> so so yeah so I was just so yeah um I guess the, the long story short um you know, as Andrea was saying, like no internship will destroy your career unless you're that much of a, gen- a gigantic asshole. And uh, <laughs> well, that's if, a different topic yeah. altogether. Right? Yes, <laughs> like, that's a, and, that's another evening's conversation. That's another episode. Yeah. Bring you back on being for. a jerk or yes. not being a jerk. But, <laughs> you know, it's the responsibility of companies, though, and this is what I mean. Maybe this is salient here because 
point being like we're putting young people in the position, you know, of, of feeling like, you know, uh, this is so critical to the rest of my life. Like this decision is such a big one Mm -hmm. when it, it just, it isn't, it, it, you know, it's actually the responsibility of the companies to take care of our young professionals and nurture them and provide a positive workplace. So we have the next generation of young artists to come up through the ranks and make this a healthy industry. And we've broken that promise. And and I would say again, like I mentioned earlier, since the Great Recession, I feel like um, you know, there have been there have been a lot more abuses. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it's just because I've been advising so many students. So I hear the stories, and I'm telling you, I hear them from coast to coast. This is not a regional problem in terms of like it's only summer theaters in New England or it's only summer theaters in California or whatever. It's from coast to coast, it's big companies. It's small companies. It's, you know, all professional, semi-professional. And so, you know, what we're talking about is we need to switch it from being like Phil as an undergrad, feeling this incredible moral responsibility to, to be professional and, you know, to, to um, be responsible and fulfill commitments you've made. But also you're going like, oh my gosh, I have to take care of myself, right? I need to eat. I need to, you know, wow. Yeah, I guess I should be thinking about my retirement and having health insurance and stuff like that. And so the company though, needs to be the one who's taking responsibility for providing the things that young professionals need, not the young professional feeling the entire obligation. And and that's what I would like to see us shift to as a system where the companies, you know, really invest in the young artists and acknowledge that they're an important part of the company as an employee. And even if they're inexperienced, they're still putting their time and hours and lifeblood into the, you know, two, three, four months of their commitment. And that is worth something. And it's really valuable. And I would just say this, and now I'm getting heavy and preachy and like sounding like a teacher doing a lecture. But I I would say this is that I think, thank you. I really do think that, you know, we have to look at our business models. And this is, I teach sustainability, you know, and use this word, like, is this model sustainable? And I would say that generally, in our industry, the current model is not sustainable. If you are so reliant on free or low paid labor to make your business model work, you need to change your business model. Mm -hmm. You need to maybe invest some money in, you know, a grant writer and development person who can figure out how to make your business model viable. Um, because mm-hmm. we cannot in the United States of America be relying on exploited young labor um, who I will also just say tend to be people from socioeconomic classes of disadvantage, you know, mm-hmm. people who are really looking, you know, first gen working class, you know, people who don't have trust funds, um, who don't have the stocked up bank accounts, you know? And so we got to stop exploiting our college age labor to make the theater industry work. 
And um, yeah, that was kind of a soapbox, but I feel really strongly about it. Yeah. I mean, it's also like we have to treat people like people. People have to live at the end of it. And yeah. it's like you, I mean, Phil, what I got from your story was you also weren't treated like a person when they went from $600 a week with a new shared space to $100 a week. Like, yeah, that hurts anyone's like pride in what they do. Also, like you just got severely undervalued. Like you were a line on a budget sheet. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. 100%. I mean, it's it's up to the companies to make you feel like you want to work with them. And that's for any industry, not just theater. Like it's up to the companies. And I mean, theater is definitely the case in point, like to make you feel like you belong and you want to work with them. If you go from a one offer that's super duper awesome to one that's like not at all, then you're like, what? Where did my value go? Like, as a person to this company that you thought I'd be a really good fit for, where did my value go? Why did it yes. drop? And I think... Um, well I, said, Megan. <laughs> and I think there's lot, actually... When I do, I can hone in on something. Yeah. Good. No, and I, and I think there's some, there's a huge merit in that. And Andrea, you actually touched upon this a lot. And from, you know, people that I've talked to about this, um, you know, a lot of them, because, um, I you know, if... if you haven't realized already i sent up a huge like share post to all the people of color and queer um and you know usitt uh facebook groups and a lot of you know i'm, I'm a part of a lot of marginalized and people of color facebook groups in live entertainment and that was the number one situation of why they couldn't accept um non-paid or low-pay internships because they didn't they didn't you know they were first generation americans or they didn't have you know their family came from nothing yep. so like they you know they didn't you know they're like i still have a car payment even though yeah it's a 93 honda civic and it's running on duct tape right now i still have to pay 200 dollars a month for my car insurance and i can't do that if i'm getting paid you know or not getting paid at all you know and that is the number Let one no, Sorry, no, I just interrupted you. I shouldn't do that. But let alone, you know, I, I think, you know, this is really important. Um, in a way, I mean, there's a, a new book out about America being a caste system, basically. And I think there are some points in there that um, the author has got, you know, really spot on in terms of socioeconomic inequalities reinforcing um, the sort of like racist attitudes that are ingrained in our system. And, you know, the arts are, are not immune to this by any means. And, and so I'm just seconding you, Phil, because I would say, you know, when I look at my students over the last um, 15 years, um, yeah, I've heard the, exactly the same things you're talking about. And also something that we just really ignore in this kind of cult of individuality in America is how many young people are supporting their families, you know, and we're not talking about um, supporting like necessarily their children. They're supporting their wider extended family. They're supporting their immigrant family. They're supporting their retired grandparents because it is hard to get by economically in this country and so, you know, you can't, you don't have the privilege of accepting a hundred bucks a week and wow, how lucky you are to be housed with 15 other people, you know, when you need to be putting money in the family's collective bank account just to get by and survive. 
And I think that's something we really, really need to confront um, because we're disadvantaging um, many, many talented, spectacular mm -hmm. people who should have the opportunity to go learn that idyllic internship that Phil was talking about at the beginning, you know, to have the mm -hmm. opportunity to go and let other stuff go away and, and, you know, be in the moment of, of learning, you know, your craft, your trade of being there with more experienced people. Like that shouldn't be something only for people who can afford that. Right. And it's also, I guess in my, like in talking about what you just said, like learning from people who are really good in their trade, are the internships that are offering you a hundred dollars a week and like sharing with everyone actually getting the proper people in to teach you? I mean, I mean, that's right. also another question. It's like, if they're valuing you this little, are they valuing the rest of the people like mm. correctly to get the people to get the like people that you want to work with and the people that you want to learn from Good point. Like, in, and, in as a mentor during this time? And it's funny you actually bring that up because, and I know I'm bringing this up a lot, but the Department of Labor, because I actually did some research on this before this episode, um, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the big things they actually talked about is um, the the term intern um, has a very specific meaning when it comes to the Department of Labor and how much you can get paid and non-paid, right? And for the Department of Labor, they are saying an intern unless they are getting unless they are being compensated whether it be through college credit or mm. you know money they cannot replace the position of an upaid employee it is illegal mm. by standard labor practices for you to not have to hire 10 employees to pay them and just bring in 10 or 20 non-paid interns it's actually illegal and how many times have we seen that in theaters that you know their excuses or what they'll say on paper oh our master electrician is also our is the one that hangs all the lights yeah. because if you notice especially with uh, some interns they put them interns they rarely actually say electrician they say electric interns mm -hmm. because because if they if they find if the, if you know because nobody's gonna rat them out, but if for some reason somebody does, right? It says on paper, oh yeah, they were interns, but uh, we were providing them housing and we paid them a hundred dollars an hour. That's the minimum, whatever, right? And you think about this, and again, they are required to pay minimum wage. And how many times have you worked at a low-paying internship that you actually put in the time? <laughs> that you had to clock in and come out? Yeah, never. Exactly. Never. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's until the job is done, right? That yeah. mythical like end point. The job exactly. is done. The job is never done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also an interesting point, like clock in, clock out type for theater. It's like even 10 out of 12s now, and this has been starting to resurface because everyone has the time to actually sit and think like, are our practices mm -hmm. right now? But like, yep. it's like 10 out of 12s are starting to be reevaluated, especially for the tech side where I know I've spent the time where I go in an hour early and I don't leave for four hours later because I'm programming for the designer who has to go and implement all these notes before the next eight out of 10 the next day. Like, yep. It's like, cool. But at like an hour past that 10 out of 12, I'm still dead. The designer is working slower than what she should or he should or they should. Like, it's yeah. like, I can, I mean, and I know there's tons of people in the industry who do way more hours, but it's like, but 
why not just schedule the the time that's needed ahead of time? To yes. Rather than, hey, I know your 38-hour gig for this festival is pretty pretty normal, but why not make mm. the situation better for everyone involved? Yeah. yeah, and this is what, you know, this is where I think, you know, we talked about, like, the, you know, this this idea of internships sort of setting the culture, you know, through all levels of it, you know, from the beginning of your career all the way through to the end, and that these kind of exploitative practices that become just the established norm, where even what you just did, Megan, where you're like, oh, I'm sure there was somebody who was working more hours. It's like, it doesn't really, you know, the hours are not viable, whether it's, you know, you're working um, 10 hours more a day, you know, or 15 more than that person or what, it doesn't matter. Like it's all right. exploitative and, and it starts at the very beginning when we find it acceptable to bring young people in basically for free and expect them to work endless hours and feel like the favor is being done for them, you know? And so, um, it, it, it isn't, again, I'm going to use the word sustainable at any level. And I think you're right. Like right now during COVID, we, we all have, are having a moment to really think about like, what does my life look like post COVID? And can I really go back to that? And this isn't about love or passion or artistic drive. Uh, you know, that's not what we're talking about. And we conflate these things. We think that if somebody doesn't want to be sitting behind a board at 1230 on a Saturday night that they don't have the drive, passion, or love for the art. And it's like, no, they actually just are a human in a body that needs to go to bed and rest their brain and their muscles so they can get up and do what they love the next day in a reasonable way. And so, you know, at at every level, whether it's not being paid as an intern or it's you know, endless hours that you're just being paid one fee for as a programmer or assistant designer, or you guys, a designer, you know, like it's, there's no, you know, we think of these things as a hierarchy, but the truth is it it isn't like there's exploitation that's happening all over the place and Mm -hmm. it's not appropriate. And the thing is, then it gets reflected back into academia In academia, we find ourselves saying things like the, this is what it's like in the real world, which I'm like, but in academia, we're real people with real jobs and real experiences touching real things. So this is also the real world. <laughs> we're really got, living, really. <laughs> I just got dizzy with the amount of times I just rolled my eyes just because of that sentence. I, <laughs> yeah, because the, the, uh, the, the real world sentence is such a, it's so tiring. And it, it's just such a, you know, for lack of a better word, it's, it's just such a joke. Cause it's, yeah. it's, it, cause it's like, as if, you know, like for, for one thing, like, and I, I'm telling you this right now, like I, I graduated my undergrad at New Paltz uh, 2014. Right. And I didn't get into grad school till 2017. So during my time in undergrad and after, so about five years, I was working professionally before I went to grad school. And I can tell you right now, I have never worked harder than when I was a student because during the day I had my classes, I had my assignments yeah. and I had, you know, I had grades and projects. And then at night I had rehearsal and tech, yep. you know, and that was harder than me, you know, <laughs> waking up at like 11 a.m. with my laptop open, popping up, you know, 
Vectorworks and be like, all right, let's uh, let's cobble together this plot over here, <laughs> crack my neck, you know, and then by six o'clock tech, it's like, yep, that plot looks right. All right, let's start tech, you know, with your cup of coffee. Because of course, if you're coming into tech as a lighting designer, you need to have a cup of coffee in your hand. Um, so yeah, so when people say it's like the real world, no, um, you as a student are actually working harder than probably most established designers, unless they're working like five projects at a time. And even then they're usually <laughs> hiring assistants, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's so deceiving because it implies then that your <laughs> education is so less significant than production. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it, it, we, we hear it all the time, like, oh, class is first, production second. But then you hear, you know, the director being like, oh, well, you know, we can stay another hour, right? We can stay another hour. What or you, when can, how early can you guys get in tomorrow? Because, <laughs> you know, I've got to teach class at, but you guys can come in at eight and work on yeah. notes, right? You know, no, I yeah. mean, you know, what all this comes down to is, you know, whether we're talking about academia, internships, summer theater, professional theater, at, you know, whether regional, Broadway, off-Broadway, cruise ships, you know, whatever you want to talk about, it's, it all comes back to, we need to do a better job of valuing people, paying them a living wage for their labor, no matter how much they love it or how much they're doing it for a job, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's somebody's own personal business. If they are there to earn a living, it needs to be a living wage. We need to have benefits that allow us to take care of ourselves when we get sick, which we all will and we all do. Mm -hmm. Especially (laughs) after tech. And we need to have retirement plans so we can take care of ourselves when we're elderly and we can take care of our loved ones. And these are not radical ideas. This is what, you know, that where the yeah. labor movement is working for in this country. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I love that we're having this conversation about internships because I think that, you know, treating interns as, you know, young professionals that deserve to get established, not only with their experience and reputation, but they need to be able to get established financially so they have a secure now and future and then all the way up, all the way up, all the way through, um, we need to respect people, pay living wages, benefits and retirement plans. And, and if we cannot restructure industry, then I don't know. I mean, uh, I, sorry, I don't, I don't love it so much that I'm willing to, you know, be a destitute old lady in my retirement, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to jump to a, another story that um, I've had. Um, uh, this is a close friend of mine that mentioned this to me. Uh, they work. And it's it's, it's going to be very difficult, to be honest with you, about hiding the name of this production um, because they are so well known and they're so well respected. So um, I'm going to um, give it a different name uh, and um, <laughs> we'll see where it goes from there. So, um, um, Billiam Town Theater Festival, um, (laughs) uh, they, I would like to, um, I would like to actually put a disclaimer really quick. Uh, this was about 10 years ago. And since then they've stopped this practice. So I want to put this out there right now. And since their practice, since then their practice have actually gotten better and healthier, but it's still a story and they still owned up to it but it's still worth talking about Mm -hmm. it. 
So, um, Billiam Town Theater Festival um, <laughs> used to used to um, um, they both had pay and unpaid um, what's it called um, internships, and mm-hmm. usually depending on your experience, and many times if you're a graduate student, you were able to get to the paid portion of it. But many, many more times if you were in from an undergrad. And worst of all, if you were a sophomore or a junior, which at that time, you know, the, the you know, your universities are kind of like, you know, come, time to fly out of the nest. Let's let's see what you can do. Let's talk about some good stories. Um, it was unpaid. And this is where it kind of gets really hairy because we talked about um, low pay and no pay internships. Um, oh, I know where you're going. The let's talk about model. let's yeah, <laughs> let's talk about you having to pay to be a non-paying intern. No, 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 no. <laughs> at a summer stock theater. It's a yeah. that is such a racket. And it's not only the, you know, this mythical Billions Town yeah. festival. But, you know, they're, they're, they're all over the place and they seem mm-hmm. to be popping up more and more. Um, yeah. And I just call just total BS on that. I mean, that is yeah. unacceptable in every way. And um, FYI, the 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 $500 that you are you are paying to participate is for your housing and (laughs) the housing will actually be uh, and most of the time unair conditioned uh, dorm rooms because it takes place at the college of Billiamstown. Uh, And um, the in, in those empty dorms. Uh, are just empty because there's no students coming in during the year. So those dorms are not being used already. So it's, you know, so it's not like that. And um, and here's the thing, and I'm going to be 100% honest. Most of the people who have left that program have left with unbelievable success. I will point that out. I will not be a fool. Yes. And I will not, and I will not insult that the people who get, did left have never had a, tro- a problem finding work afterwards. But it, the right. reason they haven't been able to find, they've been able to find work so easily has nothing to do with the experience, but the amount of networking that left as soon as you graduated. It had nothing to do with what you really learned. It's more about who you learned and who you worked with. Yep. Because yep. this this organization was so popular, so well-respected. Even Broadway designers worked for this organization. That if your name was, if that name was on that your resume, you were going to get hired because they either have worked there or they've known somebody who has worked there. Mm-hmm. So that putting that out there... It is it as as Andrea said it perfectly. Pay to play, and you know what? Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And if you are a trust fund baby and you can shell out the cash, by all means, do it. You know, but um, but for people of color, people who are of uh, who are low means and low class, they can't have that opportunity, and that is an issue. Yeah. and it's um, exclusionary. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's illegal, I mean, <laughs> right? That is a form of, it's economic discrimination is what it is. And, you know, it's completely objectionable. And so I, I, yeah, I've, I've always had an issue with those, no matter the reputation. See, here's the thing is that, of course, so many organizations that either have pay to play or non-paid or low paid interns do 
have amazing programs. Like we're not correlating, you know, those experiences with high or low quality output and experiences necessarily, um, because some of these organizations are doing some of the most important work um, in our industry. So we have to separate those things, you know, and the organizations, I think, have to really face up to their labor practices and make them more equitable, um, you know, if, if we really do want to you know, have a fairer and more equal outcome at the end of it. Like, who do we think are becoming artistic directors? Why do we think that there's an issue of inequality, you know, in the most senior positions at these organizations? It, if we're not allowing the entry level, you know, of young people to actually be more diverse and more inclusive, and that includes, of course, socioeconomic. So where does it start, you know? And so if they really want to solve these problems for down the road and not just put a Band-Aid on it today by restructuring your board or, you know, kicking out your current artistic director because he's an old white guy, um, you know, start, start at the very beginning of our pipeline and bring in the diverse talent and, you know, make it economically viable for them allow them to have this incredible high quality, you know, entry level experience and then go on in an economically viable industry to build up to becoming senior leadership at these places. So we're talking about decades down the road, but, you know, we weren't, we haven't addressed these things sufficiently to have a pipeline of diverse leadership in our industry. So, oh, here we are, you know, we're pissed off about it right now, but it's like started decades ago. Oh, now I'm on another soapbox. Oh, Phil, you got me there though. You, said, you, you went there, you went there with that one. No, you know, you know, Phil, you know this. A student walks into my office and says, I'm really thinking about doing internship X, but I have to and I don't even let them get the word pay for it out or the phrase pay for it out in their mouths. I shake my head just like Megan just did now. And I say, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Do not put yourself into debt for an experience. No matter how shiny that object is, you can get where you want to go without being in debt. Like go work at your grandpa's ice cream shack for the summer and put money in the bank and, you know, find your experience mm -hmm. in other ways. Do not pay to play. And let's Absolutely. be honest, most of the stu most college students these days are going into debt anyway for the college experience. Like, oh, not, right. I mean, it's not yeah. even like they're already not in debt. I, I was very fortunate that my college was paid for by my grandparents. But, like, most people are, like, going into some kind of debt to support themselves through college, whether it's credit card debt, whether it's student loans. Oh. Somehow, they are already in debt. <laughs> There's no reason to add more to that when there are opportunities that will pay Correct. you at least a little yeah. bit, if you're or, at yeah. or some, or even, you know, pay an actual good wage for you to intern with them, or yep. even yeah. just go get a real job during the summer, or yeah. real job, I'll put quotes around it, real job. I mean, I was a camp, I chose to do a camp counseling gig one summer because it was a lot more money than I thought I could get through some internships around town. So like, I was like, yeah, and I'll let me, the bank, I'll bank the money and then I'll yeah. get my theater experience through school. Like, yes, it's not another thing outside, but I'm still doing shows like that experience is not discounted. Yes. And let me ask you, Megan, mm -hmm. because this is how I talk to my students too. 
like your job as a camp counselor, you certainly were utilizing mm-hmm. and learning skills that you use today as a professional, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So they're not separate. I mean, and honestly, a lot of yep. it came, like, it, it passed into, like, the next year also when I took more, like, stage management type courses. It was like, great, mm-hmm. this is how I was organized. These are the programs I use. I can actually take some of this real world experience and, you know, dealing with parents also, because that's always fun. Like, and that into how I actually deal with other adults in the real world. Like, yeah. And I love that. It was, it was a good roundabout way to get experience that's not necessarily in the industry. You know what? And I would even say it's not roundabout, it's actually direct. Right. And the more that we can start just looking at, you know, experience in the workplace and translating it from one field to another more seamlessly and really believe in that ourselves too, you know, because it's true. It's so like the really specific things like programming a board, right? Um, You know, or or marking up a mock-up in a costume fitting. Like you're learning that in school and you're learning that um, and, and you will continue to learn that. And there are lots of ways to do that. Um, and so it's maybe thinking about, like, what are those kinds of skills in the workplace as a worker that I'm really looking to hone and mm-hmm. communicate to a potential employer? And how do I communicate to them, you know, that I didn't choose to do a summer theater internship but I worked at, and, and of course, you know, I'm in the Northeast, so there are lots of summer camps. Mm-hmm. And I'm always encouraging my students. I'm like, hey, these are good paying gigs, and you are absolutely learning applicable, tangible skills. So do not mm-hmm. apologize. And you be prepared to go into that interview and say, this is what I did last summer, and here are the things that I came out on the other end with, you know. Right working with uh, difficult people, um, you know, team building and all those Mm -hmm. things. So, um, you know, I I think that's part of it is just um, for young professionals to value themselves no matter where they're at. Again, you know, I'm using the ice cream shack as an example because it was a it's a true story of one of my students last year. And they were really, you know, like Phil, um, having that moment of they had been offered a, a virtually non-paid um, experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, if we're talking about a hundred bucks a week, like you can't eat for a right, week. A hundred dollars doesn't even cover food. So um, I call that virtually unpaid. It's just pay mm-hmm. on paper, but <laughs> um, or they were, you know, the going back to their ice cream shack job for the summer that was actually really decent pay, you know, when at the end of the week. And, and I said, please don't minimize that experience. That is your time and effort. And you're getting paid fair wage to do a job. And we let's think about the things that you're bringing out of that job. And, and they were like, Oh, you know, I just feel bad. I'm not actually going to be, you know, making hats and dyeing things and stuff like that. And I'm like, so do that in the time that you're not working because you're not working endless hours do right, some yeah. things on your own to put in your portfolio and then come out the other end of the summer going I put money in the bank I can pay my tuition this year I also had these work experiences that are real and look at all these portfolio pieces that I worked on on my own you know I'm an independent worker and so you know it's just I think where I'm going with this is 
reframing it, right? Mm -hmm. Is like reframing and learning to tell our stories and value ourselves and value the people around us. So I'm glad you brought that up, Megan. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to say we're always told, or at least I was at at my school, like we were, I I went to UT here in Austin, but we were Mm -hmm. always told to flip it the other way in case you go somewhere not in theater. Like think about like what you (laughs) learned and how to use the, these skills, like stage management skills. You learned organization, people management, like which is a huge one in any job you go to team building. I mean, we all learned team building no matter what, what track you were on. But, like, think about all of that and how you can translate it into the real world. But no one, at least that I was aware of, ever said the opposite. Like, take your <laughs> real world job and translate it into theater terms. Like, no one's yeah. ever said that to me, or at least I haven't heard it. Oh, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to do that. And, you know, it, I'm, I'm learning it, actually. I'm working really closely. And this is my little shout out on my campus is... A few years ago, I started working closely with the Career Resource Center on campus. And um, they're just, you know, amazing people who know how to look at people from all different fields and extract those, um, you know, the, the really special skills that people gain through their experience and learn how to communicate them to somebody who might not understand that just on paper, you know. And so they have helped me really broaden my mind about how to do that. And, and we pair together to do this work with our undergraduate students. And, and I think so much of it, it's language, but it's also learning to value ourselves and what we bring to the table and, and never feeling bad like Phil did about saying, you know what, thank you for this opportunity, but you know, this is not, it doesn't work for me you know, at this time or whatever, and knowing in your heart of hearts that you're worth so much more than that offer and you know to say no to it. And, um, and, and that that's okay at the end of the day, right? Like you are a valuable, important person and you will be an asset to whomever does hire you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You know, actually, uh, you, you, you mentioned that and I can't believe I actually didn't bring this up. Um, you know who actually helped me the most uh, out of that story I just said about my uh, my internship, Andrea? Nathan. Oh, <laughs> my husband. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I remember. Oh, uh, yeah, because. I'll be uh, he, it was, go feed the dogs. I'm sorry. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I remember because you were actually what you when you said like you're worth so much more than that. Nathan said the same exact thing to me when I was down and I remember I was on my way to uh, our Mac lab uh, or, you know, it's a room full of Macintosh computers. And uh, he was in Ken's office just putzing around and by himself. And, you know, he was, you know, he saw me and like, if, if people don't know me, um, they, they, they can always tell when I'm in like such a sad mood. Cause I'm always smiling. And when I'm sad, <laughs> I'm always really sad. I have no, like, <laughs> and Nathan was like, you know, like what happened? And I, I told him what happened. And he was just like, you know, I, he, what he actually said to me was so impactful. He's like, Phil, do you know how much of a good feeling it is to be in a put in position to say no to a project uh, because yep. there's somebody out there who actually wants you more. Yeah. And he's like, that's a good feeling. You should not feel bad. This is yeah. a great feeling. And I, and that, that still hits me to this day. It's that like, I, 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 I tell myself, I'm like, I, I'm in a good position that I don't have to accept predatory uh, job offers just to yep. keep myself afloat, even though it's not even keeping myself afloat. It's just so 
I'm unemployed. But um, mm-hmm. I think um, when Megan comes back, uh, we talked about a lot about um, <laughs> the parts of internships. And there's still some tons of positive ones. And I, uh, I think, um, and I mentioned it a little bit for my sake, and I'm going to bring them up again just because of how good this company was. Um, I got offered to um, be an intern at uh, ETC, Electronic Theater Controls. Yeah, I remember. And, I remember it well. I was super proud. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about how I got it uh, after the recording. <laughs> um, but, I, remember, uh, I remember how you got it, too. Uh, <laughs> I was going out for a drink. I remember. Yeah, it was. And so beyond that, actually. Uh, but yeah, oh, but like... Oh boy. Uh, but, I know, right? I mean, like it was honestly, it was the the it was uh it was USITT Milwaukee, twenty thirteen. Yep. That and... that USITT when I was petrified that you guys were driving through a winter storm to get. <laughs> yes, there. yeah, we I remember were. it vividly, actually. Yeah, because I remember uh, talking to Sal Lauren because and uh, Vinny Sullivan, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna drive ahead," and I was just like, "You sure it is a storm?" He's like, "Yeah, we're badass like that," and then like they were stuck in Pennsylvania for like you know, yeah. the whole time. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but I, you know, I, I got offered to work there and they paid me $10 an hour, which at the time, you know, was great. I was working, you know, I was working in the city and mm-hmm. and they, they offered to, you know, to pay for my transportation to get there. They, not only that, they provide, they gave me free access to the Broadway master classes that they helped sponsor to the event as me as their intern. So I was able to sit yeah, in that's to, cool. and, and I got invited to fly to um, Madison, Wisconsin for their Q event, which is their huge training exercise that people from all over the country comes, uh, Megan included. And uh, I'm talking about Q. Um, yeah. And, and, and that was my first time that I got to see other consoles. I got to see um, the, the Cobalt brand and, um, and and the Congo series. And granted, nobody talks about the Congo series, but uh, either way, it was it was it was amazing. And that was a good internship. That yes. was a good internship because they I still worked my hardest. I remember the hardest part, you know, like one of the big projects that they gave me was I had to research every single Broadway house and figure out what kind of lighting console they used and make it out into a spreadsheet. And that was that at the same time, uh, fixing and repairing other consoles and lighting fixtures. And at the same time, sit in on um, free lessons that they offer in-house. So there was so much benefit out of that. And $10, is that a lot in the city? No, but the amount of actual education and that is the mm-hmm. number one important thing about internship it is education anyone can hang a light anyone mm-hmm. can hang a light very very fast and you saying i hang a light really well that was my experience is bullshit you know is there they are selling you a can of goods but or bill of goods actually that's the one but <laughs> if you're actually you know if you're actually sitting down in a room filled with masters of that field and they are, t- and you are, you know, you meet Brian McDevitt, you meet Don Holder, you know, you meet all these people. That's an internship. That is yep. an internship. And to come back and tell your professors everything that you've learned is mm-hmm. so empowering because what you did is, 
you know, you're expanding your knowledge to your colleagues as well. It, it, it ripples yep. so much larger. So there are great internships in this oh, world. Oh, you know, and you know, Phil, you know, I've always been a huge advocate of getting those kind of experiences and that I've pushed mm-hmm. students out of their comfort zones and I've, I've pushed them to look for things like that, you know? And so that is the other side of the coin is that, you know, we do have an industry that has a tradition, you know, of, of having the young artists in the room. And it's, it's that, you know, really, I think, um, taking those great examples like the ETC internship and, um, you know, using them as a model so that we can't have this industry wide, like set of excuses of like, well, you know, it would just break us. Like there's no economically viable way for us to do that. Or there aren't models of successful companies that do it. No, there are models. There are actually a lot of really great models. And, and those models, you know, are training incredible young artists and they're training them more quickly to take on more responsibility, you know, and like you said, and I love this part of it, to share out the knowledge that you're gaining. You know, you're not just in the room as a sponge for yourself, but you go out and you spread and disseminate that information and also that energy. And that's our industry at its healthiest. And I would love to see more examples of that. So I think the positive twist on this is a really important take that, um, you know, we really do need to be putting out there the great stories. And so we have models for some of the companies that hopefully, you know, post-COVID will be looking to restructure. And they can look at some of those great models and say, let's be more like that. And if what it means is paring back their intern programs so they have fewer of them, you know, and maybe maybe that's okay. And maybe what it also means in academia, and this has implications for me, is that we say to students, you know, after the freshman and sophomore year, like, hey, don't put the pressure on yourself right now. Like, you know, focus on being a student. Like, get a camp job in the summer. You know, get a job wherever. Um, work at Kohl's. Like, put the money in your bank account. And then... As you're nearing your senior year, you know, get, you know, one really sweet internship and then let as an industry, instead of quantity being the thing we're aiming for in resumes, let's have it be quality and let's have real discussions and like, and and allow young professionals to have that other work experience category on their resumes without have that being denigrated. Like, let people be proud to put, you know, I worked as a cashier at Barnes and Noble, you know, or I was an assistant manager at my local supermarket. Let them be proud of that labor and let it be on the resume and and then say it's okay if, you know, a student only has one internship, you know, even in the span of their undergrad to grad school. If it's a really high quality internship like the one you had, Phil then it really does pave the way, um, you know, for your profession down the road um, in in much deeper ways than having like a collection of really horrible experiences, right? I don't know. It's a reordering of a lot of things, I think. We all, we all have to think about things. And so I have to think about it differently in terms of how I advise my students and and how to strategize with them to maximize the experiences they have 
and to not go into debt and to value themselves as a part of our workforce. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. And um, I actually want to take that time for Megan to talk about her internship because I think uh, their internship was probably one of my favorite stories uh, because it, it grew into a career. It grew mm. into a career that um, there is not a, a, a single hog programmer in this country that doesn't know the name Megan Wilson. <laughs> you know, awesome. that, you there's, know, there's a out there. We'll, we'll let them be. They probably won't let them be. But I, I, you know, it, it, it would be insulting not to talk about their story because it, if we're talking about great internships and we're talking about internships that really, you know, cultivated someone with such remarkable talent. I, I think, um, you know, I'm done. Megan, shoot, Thanks, tell Megan. me. Now that you've cool. called this up for a not very, like, groundbreaking story. Um, it is. I mean, it is and it isn't. Don't like, talk about my friend like that. It's a great story, okay? <laughs> so, I, got the in- oh, I got the internship. The High End had decided, this was pre-ETC. High End was owned by Barco at the time. Um, high end decided to start their internship program back up, and my mentor and professor um, at UT, Am- Amarante Lucero, um, he had a really close tie with high end, like whenever they were doing internships. So, of course, they went to him and said, Hey, we're doing this internship program again. Do you have some students to get there? And uh, two of us actually ended up going to the internship. Uh, my friend had ended up doing it. Um, for about three months and then some life stuff happened and so then she had to leave um and then mm. i joined actually like right after that that was always the plan for me to join like in like mid to late august because i was studying abroad with said professor um but so i joined i did the internship all through school i got reevaluated all through my junior year i got reevaluated at the semester breaks and then um well, this internship was in research and development so it was a a lot of like here are the bugs go find the bugs for hog basically <laughs> um here are the things that the users are coming into which was great because it taught me like how to look at a problem that um diagnose the problem like and take it step by step back to reproduce stuff and then it also taught me how cool. people worked in the industry at the same time because it yeah. was here's your show file for this console go figure out why they, why it broke it. Well, then I got to look at 8 million <laughs> consoles. I got, I mean, at 8 million different show files and it was really interesting in that respect. Um, and it taught me how to, how these like big, or I shouldn't say big, but how these companies work in respect mm-hmm. to it all. Um, and then at the end of junior year, I believe, no, in the middle of the summer going into senior year, they offered me an actual job like position at high end and it was it was like that's awesome yes i will use my theater because like i'm yes yes i will use my theater degree i will show my mom that i can make money in the industry yeah um and i mean i haven't that's that was in 2015 so it's been about five it'll be five years in september that's wonderful i officially went to a product support position from a research and development intern that wasn't even technically like a high-end employee like they had to like contract me through like this contract a just like agency that does it and i was their employee but like all my hours came from high end it was an odd situation <laughs> but that's how it worked with that day, with that point in time um 
but it was really nice. I mean, it was a really yeah. good chance. It got me more exposure. And to be honest, before that internship, I never occurred to me like these type of jobs exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's like, I, I didn't think that some manufacturer had to make the light that was being used. It's just products that exist wherever I was. Right. And then it was like, well, this is another type of job in the industry that could exist. And excuse me. And is actually right up more my alley than like the design part of theater, which everyone wants to be a designer. Well, there's everyone can be a designer. Everyone could also be a programmer or mm -hmm. go in the more take it another step back behind the scenes and go yep. into like the actual manufacturing route. If you well, like right. the tech if you wanted to. Like for me, yeah. I got I got really into the technology while I was there and was like, yeah, this is it. This is this is the type of position I yep. want now. And I, I love that. And that's what, oh my gosh, I want to have you come be a guest for my classes. But it's, you know, this is getting, this is the best of internships, mm -hmm. right? When you are in a, in a position where you know you're being valued, right? Mm -hmm. They know that you're interested. And so they value you. They have work for you to do. And this is key. It gives you exposure to other things mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have exposure to in an academic theater program, which they're all, they all have to be narrowly focused just right. to get our students through in the short number of years exactly. you have and pack all of the things we need to pack in. So that, you know, industry exposure, you know, mm -hmm. and again, I'm going to resist calling it real world or real life because right. it's all real life, but the industry, professional industry um, rather than academic theater um, exposure is is so critical. But then here, I love this, mm -hmm. that added into your experience is a direct pathway to a professional post-academic, you know, right. experience. Um, and and so if, if we could see more of those kind of models, mm -hmm. I think that that, you know, would be amazing. I think USITT, and other, you know, professional organizations are great gateways for um, the those kind of like the the more like the business opportunities yeah. for students. But I'd love to see, you know, the sort of live events and performing mm -hmm. or performance organizations follow those models. Um, you know, my and this is a super, super quick story, but just speaking in positivity, you know, there are some of the um, the bigger arts organizations, and we'll see, you know, how they weather COVID, but they have been really trying, you know, putting in due diligence to create internships that do what you're both talking about, like create an educational experience where you're actually working, you're working alongside um, industry professionals who trust you, you know, who want you there with that. And then you develop those relationships and move into your own professional paid positions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and both my husband and I were lucky enough to work at Santa Fe Opera. So we're going to use names for the positive yeah. ones, right? Yeah, of course. And, um, <laughs> you know, and that, you know, for both of us, and, and we, we were there at different times, mm -hmm. we didn't meet there, but we just happened to both, you know, I heard about his experiences, and I was like, I have to go there. And, um, you know, it was like, we weren't being paid a ton. But I was being paid enough to not be worrying about it and not mm -hmm. be putting, you know, my food on my credit card. 
and the housing was nice and it was respectful. I had my own room. We, I had a house that I was sharing with another, you know, um, another employee and, and, and it was just such a high quality, spectacular experience. And I was working with a professional designer that then I subsequently ended up working with later. And so these are the kind of things that we want um, our students to experience and, and they're out there. So how can we replicate, you know, all three of us, we've had good internship experiences, right? So we want that to be replicated and we want to support the organizations that are really putting in the effort to do that and, mm-hmm. and keep our industry going. So I love Absolutely. that story, Megan. Yeah. Awesome. And, and, and I think I'll, it's... I'll say I'm not the oh, old, sorry. I was just going to say, I'm not no. the only one at high end that did that. Like there's a couple of people before me that did it, that went through the exact same program that I did. Um, but then like my friend that I said, I had two, it was me and another girl and she left. But then when we had a spot open back up in my department, I was like, Hey, there's this person that you already know you like half the department, half the, t- half the company <laughs> works well with. We should consider her. Like, I know she doesn't have like all the experience we're looking for, but she's a quick learner. And now hey, that's she is, loyalty. And now she oh, that's also, real loyalty. And now she's one of the best like lighting techs. If you go ask four wall bandit lights, any of them, they'll be like, oh yeah, I know that person. Cool. She's awesome. Um, and also another, per- lovely. And, and there's another one in our department. I guess I'm just bringing everyone in. Um, but he actually <laughs> took my class also kind of like Hill did, except it was with Texas state and they came to high end to come and take the class. And we, and he just messaged me one day. I was like, Hey, I know you said that high end was possibly going to start internships. Is it going to happen soon? And so I just messaged my manager and was like, Hey, I know we were talking about this. Can we see about this? And and then it happened, and now he's in our department also. And now it's wonderful. we are all like, I mean, it's the way to do it. You get people yep. in, and you foster like what they like to do, mm-hmm. and you create good employees at that point. Yep. Whether or not it's, and you make, re- I was going to say real professionals. Yeah. We're all real professionals, no matter what point in step <laughs> you are in the career. But you, I mean, you make the people who you continually want to work with. Yep. Like, yes. By, yeah, it's, it's building colleagues, mm-hmm. right? It, it's not just filling a position, you know, for a short amount of time right. and cranking through people. It's right. It's building relationships and colleagues and, and a healthy industry. Um, and that's, you know, we all want to see more of that. That's the thing is we don't want to mm-hmm. throw it all out. We just, we need to reform parts of it and reframe parts of it. Um, so we can be healthier and, and happier and, and do what we do and share it. So I love that you guys, this has been so fun. I love your sharing. I love your stories, (laughs) you know, um, and, and I love that you're putting this out there. Um, you know, sometimes I just feel like a broken record as a professor and as an advisor, you know, and I see my students eyes glaze over (laughs) because the ethos of the industry right like these the mythology of these of theater summer internships is very seductive and you know that siren call of you know you put in the time and you know and and the benefits come down the road you can't you won't see them for a long time but you have to have faith that you got to pay your dues you know like all of this mythology is yeah, right. That's where I was going. Is it like this mythology is very seductive and pervasive. And so mm-hmm. I really appreciate that you guys are trying to, you know, get a different narrative out there and just like lift the curtain. I think 
the narrative wave, you know, is, is coming and, and, and we can change it. I love it. I Mm -hmm. love what you're doing. It's awesome. So, um, before we, uh, having this wonderful discussion, I think Phil's about to try to wrap us up and I just beat him to it all. No, 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 no. Before we wrap up, because, um, Andrea, you wanted to talk about this and you, you used the word a lot and I want to respect that because it's Mm. such important sustainability. We use that word a lot. Oh, yep. Sure. And, and I definitely, and I definitely want um, to you to have, you know, to have that moment because um, you've been talking about sustainability, you know, ever since I was a student. But then, like, I realized in the last couple of years, you've really started, like, you you set that up on a catapult, light it on fire and just, like, <laughs> fire and be like, sustainability, you bastards. So yes. tell me. Oh. Tell me your story. Oh, okay. Let's see if I can do this succinctly. Um, so I am, I, SUNY New Paltz is one of five of 62 campuses, um, in the SUNY system that has a sustainability campus coordinator, and we have a sustainability faculty fellows program. So I am now a sustainability faculty fellow on our campus. That means that we basically commit to teach, um, sustainability in our courses and help students learn what sustainability means. And, and I think this was a revelation to me is that, um, you know, most of us today, (laughs) you know, if you're alive and awake, you would equate sustainability with environmentalism as we all should. That's super, super important. Um, and that's where I came to it from. I was like, I care very much about our, the climate and our environment and the world we live in and health. But what the real revelation to me was when my eyes were open that sustainability really has three pillars, and that's the environment, it's also society or social, and it's economic. And if we don't have balance between the three, um, then sustainability doesn't work. And it basically means meeting the needs of the present day without compromising the needs of future generations. And so, yes, we should definitely be focusing on the climate emergency that we are in. But we also have to have sensitivity to understand that if people are not in a position in their own lives, you know, to put food on their tables for their children, you know, or if they're facing an immediate health crisis, like COVID, for instance, you know, it's really hard to think about the planet for the next generation. Um, And so we have to balance those things. And um, what I've learned in my sustainability, you know, pathway of of education, which we're all on an eternal path of becoming more enlightened and educated, is that, um, you know, sustainability needs to be applied in every facet of our lives, in every industry, at every school, in every program, in every shop. Um, whether it's a little costume shop at a small state university or it's, you know, a big Broadway scene shop, you know, or it's um, the fashion industry or it's the energy sector. It doesn't matter. Every aspect of our lives needs to be focused on creating a balance um, between the environment and society and economics. And um, if we don't start looking at those things um, together, I think we're just doomed, you know, to repeat these failures that we can 
you know, we're in the midst of one right now. Well, I won't go down that. But my final thought on this, just to, you know, put a little, like, you know, a map pin in this for anybody who's interested in learning more, is that in 2015, the United Nations created a plan, and it's called the Global Goals for Sustainable Development. And you can learn more at globalgoals.org. And um, 193 nations <laughs> of our planet Earth that we share um, came together to create these plans. And so this is the most inclusive, broad-based plan for sustainability. And um, it's pretty amazing. There are 17 goals, and within each goal, there are targets. And um, there are actionable targets. There are things that you and I can do in our own lives. And then there are things that you're like, um, I can't do that. I'm not a nation state. <laughs> but it really toggles between individual action all the way to, you know, um, action that has to be taken between, you know, um, countries or corporate actions. And so it's inclusive of all of us. And it, it puts the responsibility at the feet of everyone, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a grade school teacher, um, we all have responsibility. And so um, I'm excited about trying to, you know, help people in the entertainment and arts industry understand how sustainability applies to us. And our discussion today specifically relates to goal number eight, which is decent work and economic growth. And um, and it really is about what I talked about earlier, about everyone should have the opportunity, no matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from, what your belief system is, what your aspirations are, that we all deserve to be paid a living wage and um, to have benefits that help, you know, reduce our misery and suffering um, in life. And, and we deserve to be able to put a little bit aside for future generations as well. And, um, and so I really encourage everybody to just start centering sustainability at, at everything that we look at. And I, I really appreciate you guys having this conversation tonight about internships because it's a part of sustainability action. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys. Thanks, Phil, no. for asking about that. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is important, you know, and like theater has always been like either really ahead of the curve or really behind in the curve when it comes to you know, things like this, like there's still theaters that are using, you know, a thousand watt par lamps, you know, when, <laughs> that, you know, when they're like not economically viable and people, but like older, you know, light, hate to say this. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you know, that, that red shift, Amber, you just, you can't get it. <laughs> You know, and it's like I chefs. Spent thirty minutes in a demo room one time trying to make my LED light do it, and guess what it did? Oh, I mean, we all but, have uh, to. We all have to give up on you know some of the things that we're very attached to and learn to replace <laughs> them with other things. I know, especially Compromise. when it's actually brighter, more economic. You know, what have you? But um, I'm going to wrap yeah. this episode up, and the way I do it is how I usually do it. Megan! <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, um, I'm actually, I just changed my Twitch account. So I'm actually <gasps> at Megan Wilson underscore on everything. Twitter, Instagram, yeah. and Twitch. So that is a lot better than I was before. And I actually started streaming again last week. So hopefully that keeps cool. up. Yeah. Right on. And I think I you just You guys are up so impressive. 
You're so impressive. <laughs> I'm I'm super proud and uh, I love it. And I love what Andrea, um, aside from uh, global goals, uh, is there anything you want to you know plug? Is there you know anything you want me to put on the episode notes about you or you know <laughs> student new pause anything? Um, I you know I think that are the sustainability efforts are like my big thing. That's my okay. mission now. That is my that I want to be a sustainability superhero. Um, you know, and, and so spreading the word about the global goals and just, I'm really proud of our campus for having sustainability at the heart. And, and I'm working, um, as part of our campus strategic planning council, you know, to really put sustainability at the heart of, of all of our planning going forward. And so I'm proud that that's part of SUNY New Paltz's identity. And, um, so yeah, thanks for asking. Absolutely. And you can find me on the internet at Phil Villar on my Twitter and at Phil underscore Villar on my Instagram, because for some reason still, I cannot match them together. Instagram (laughs) won't let me do it. Honestly, at this point, I might as well just put Phil underscore Villar in my Twitter, but I am stubborn. One day I will have that handle. But you can also find me on my my website at philvillardesign or philvillardesign.com. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you guys thank so much. You. It's been a pleasure. What a fun and, day. And uh, have a fantastic day, night. Again, time is an illusion here at COVID City. Good night, everyone. Bye.